Greetings, everyone. I'm Jesse Hipporosario, Director of Member Relations and ASHP's staff liaison to the section of Specialty Pharmacy Practitioners here at ASHP, and thanks for joining. I'm excited to share with you that today's episode is a curated feature on Specialty Pharmacy from the exceptional programming from the 2021 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Please enjoy the voices of your colleagues as they share the latest clinical information, best practices, and leadership advice at the world's largest gathering of pharmacists. Welcome to the virtual 2021 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting and Exhibition. My name is Erica Diamonditas, and this is Strategies for Overcoming Site-of-Care Challenges for Infusion Services. Joining me is my co-presenter, Dr. Brian Schiesler. Thanks, Erica, and welcome, everyone. We'll talk about four kind of infusion models here. Uh, and we'll go into more detail, but you should have these either in place or looking to develop them even further if you don't already. The first one on the left is a hospital outpatient department, the HOPD. This is the one that gets all the bad press. Uh, that's due to pricing, potentially facility fees, but it is your 340B rich opportunity. Moving over, home infusion. That is our pandemic outlet, right? It served a lot of patients during the pandemic and became more popular. I also call it Netflix friendly because you're able to just do it in the comfort of your own home. The third one, Pharmacy Infusion Suite. This has great flexibility and relatively easy to construct in terms of logistics. So that's that's one to really take note of. The Freestanding Infusion Center. This is a little bit more brick and mortar. Uh, you'll find that the modern commercial infusion centers are very fancy in what they deliver to patients. It's non-340B, but it is attractive usually to patients. Next, I'll dive a little bit deeper into home infusion and then turn it over to Erica in a little bit to discuss some other infusion model options. So let's take a look at home infusion. Uh, my general philosophy on home infusion is in these four quadrants, but let's start at the center, the patient. You have to evaluate, are they even a candidate for home infusion therapy? And how do you objectively assess and document that? Be honest with yourself, be honest with the patient. If it's not gonna work for you, it's not gonna work for them. And then what are the expectations of your health system when it comes to taking patients? Are you a transitional care unit? patient first, or are you more of a paying patient first kind of service? What about after hours consideration? Most health systems and hospitals are 24 seven, 365. If you're offering that service, can you support patients around the clock or just business hours? Taking a look at clinical services, do you have enough nurses to see patients? That is something we will talk about again and again. Will you see patients at discharge or at home? What's the region you can cover? What are your zip code locations? Where can you get and how fast? What's the ability to take on various types of medications, traditional, specialty? What about IV line management, IV line placement? Can you access a portacath? Can you hang around as a nurse for four hours during a specialty infusion? And then as far as your pharmacy staff, are they clinically adept or just operationally sound? It's very easy to get things compounded out the door, but what about those questions, infusion reactions, how to handle things clinically with providers and staff? Is that something you can handle? And then another area is marketing. We don't focus on this enough in the business world in pharmacy. Can you sell your business model above the competition? And can you do this without the badge? Meaning just because you work for the health system doesn't mean that you should get preference, right? If you could sell your business better without that badge, that's important. Think of it like that. And do you have a business plan that alleviates problems for physicians, nurses, and patients? That's how you're going to win. 
And can you actively market to potential patients? Can you get in front of patients before they discharge? Do you have that ability bandwidth or even are you allowed to do that? And at the end of the day, the question is, can you tell a better story? Can you use the examples and experiences you have to tell your marketing story about why your service is strong and good for the members of your health system? Here's some additional considerations that I've kind of learned over the years. Uh, I'll start with one that I struggled with, honestly, in my previous role, and that was understanding organizational alignment. I certainly saw us as the health system home infusion pharmacy. However, many of the key stakeholders for our referral business saw us as just another infusion pharmacy and one, honestly, that didn't bring treats in or lunch. We were also competing with physicians who held their own infusion business, right, which was longstanding and long tolerated. So they were ahead of us in line in terms of business and honestly, politically speaking. Our managed care team did our contracting for us. Uh, we were part of home health. So pharmacy wasn't always the primary thought for them. We were sometimes an afterthought to other key initiatives. So understanding your organizational alignment is key. When you look at some other items that are key, it's communication. This is actually one area we did well in. Part of that was we were able to navigate the health system more effectively to the medical record access and documentation, we could anticipate what was going to happen. Likewise, we use telehealth and videos to contact the patients before, during, and after initial education sessions as part of their discharge program or discharge team. What this really did was alleviate anxiety discharge for the patients, the caregivers, and the bedside nurse. We were able to evaluate, going back to that initial question of, is the patient a right candidate? Yes, they are. Let's educate them. Let's get them prepared. And by the time they're walking out the door, everybody's comfortable with the plan. So when you kind of look at home infusion and the snapshot with pros and cons, here's what you'll see. In my opinion, it's a great option to keep patients in your network and in your system. And you can leverage operations and facilities that you have already. On the con side, not every patient or therapy belongs in a home infusion world. I think we would all agree with that. It's not for everyone. But probably one of the key items right now that is most difficult and I honestly consider home infusion nurses are really the Swiss army knives of this business and they're a key to success. The problem is they're just hard to find and you need a good staff and a good consistent team to be able to service patients consistently and kind of PRN on a Friday afternoon. So next I'll kick it over to Erica and she'll talk about some other infusion models starting with infusion suites. Thank you, Brian. And really, we're highlighting additional options where those barriers to implementing home infusion may be insurmountable. And so another thing to consider is a pharmacy infusion suite. Some of the things that are unique or different about these types of infusion providers is that um, you generally are able to use a pharmacy software platform that can bill both medical and pharmacy claims. It could be similar to operating your home infusion services. Um, and in, from the billing perspective, their medical claims are going to look from a place of service 11, like an office, or a 49, an independent clinic. Things to consider with the pharmacy infusion suite involve probably a little bit more along the licensing and accreditation side. So making sure that you have a state pharmacy license and then potentially a DEA license, depending on the types of medications that you may be able to provide or want to provide within that space. You may also require further licensing through a home health agency or ambulatory infusion agency. And accreditation may be a contract requirement to service Medicare or other patients. Um, and that accreditation could be through the Joint Commission or ACHC or other bodies that work with home health. 
Finally, from the contracting perspective, this is generally an area where pharmacy needs to have a lot of ownership. Uh, pharmacy needs to contract with insurance plans to make sure that their infusion suite, including the nursing drugs and supplies and the billable charges that go along with them, are built into contracts um, that continue to allow for them to provide services to their patients. As we look at the advantages and disadvantages of the pharmacy infusion suite, one of the benefits is the ability to leverage home infusion services. So if you have that in place and are looking for additional options for patients, this may be something to consider. It also, like home infusion, potentially lowers the out-of-pocket costs for our patients. Um, and again, it does retain patients within the health system, which is really our entire goal for our conversation today. Some of the downsides or disadvantages is that we do anticipate that you'd see lower reimbursement within a pharmacy infusion suite space. And patients may have a copay that they did not see in a hospital-based infusion clinic, and that's something to prepare patients for as they transition. The last type of infusion area that we would open up for you to consider is the freestanding infusion center. From the billing perspective, this can be advantageous in that it leverages health system tools in order to bill claims to your medical providers, and it's going to do this under a place of service 11. From a licensing and accreditation component, there may be fewer requirements compared with the pharmacy infusion suite, and these will align with the requirements that you have for a provider clinic within your health system and state. And from the contracting side, this is an area where pharmacy may be able to partner with others within the health system, potentially working with a managed care team. And another consideration would be whether or not this space is going to have physician oversight, because that will impact the types of patients and payers that will be able to be accommodated in that space. Closing out our areas with advantages and disadvantages of the freestanding infusion center. One of the benefits is being able to leverage inpatient or clinic pharmacy services. So if you have a pharmacy operating and uh, compounding these high cost infusions and they are located within a space where they can reach a freestanding location, um, that may be a great economy of scale to leverage. Again, you'll see potentially lower patient out of pocket costs and retaining the patients within the health system. From the disadvantages side, uh, there is a lower reimbursement associated with these areas, and you may be limiting your eligible patient populations depending on how you decide to have or not have physician oversight of that space. Now, with each of these models that we've discussed, uh, really the goal is to be able to really tie it back to what Brian was talking about at the beginning, which is the trend of our insurance providers really looking at controlling costs and moving infusion services from the hospital outpatient department to other areas, some of which they have the ability to provide on their own. What we'd like to highlight is some of the consequences of health systems not surmounting some of these barriers that have been posed. And the, the first really starts with patient safety. When patients are being seen outside of the health system, there is concern around um, how are labs being conducted in these outside provider areas and how are they communicated back to the, the ordering physician. The communication of reactions can be something that can be challenging as well. Uh, it, Hopefully the outside infusion servicers are providing this information back to the clinic, but the way in which they communicate this could be non-standard outside of the medical record and potentially via fax. There's also a risk of a gap or overlap in treatments because these providers don't have access to the medical record. And your clinics may have to manage a variety of different infusion orders in order to accommodate each of these separate and disparate providers. From an operational standpoint, 
Clinics are having to coordinate with various providers without standard communication processes within the medical record, using things like fax and phone, which we know are some of our least preferred methods of communicating within our ambulatory clinics. And then from the financial standpoint, there is an anticipated loss of revenue associated with these infusion therapies if you're not able to accommodate patients within your health system. And with that, there's also a potential loss of patients in entirety to other healthcare providers if they're able to provide this service, as well as the additional care that the patient may need. We wanted to drive this home with a little bit more information that's tangible and from uh, my health system's experience. So UW Medicine has gone through a journey of creating our own freestanding infusion centers, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about why that was our strategy. Um, and then we'll also talk about our policies as well as partnership with contracting through that process. And we'll round out with pharmacy involvement and authorization as we dive into those areas. For a little bit of background on our health system, UW Medicine is located in the Puget Sound area and is a comprehensive integrated health system. We have five acute care hospitals and 300 outpatient sites of care. At the time that we really started looking at some of these trends within our, our insurance payers, pushing patients towards lower cost sites of care, we had eight hospital outpatient department infusion centers, one of them focusing in oncology, and we did not have any alternative options for patients. No home infusion, no freestanding infusion center, and no pharmacy infusion suite. We do have six accredited specialty pharmacy locations, but when we really started this work, our specialty pharmacy was in its first or second year of accreditation and really still building our programs for our self-administered patients. As we started to identify the shift of our patients from our house, hospital outpatient departments to uh, other servicing providers within our area, we decided to really look at the impact of these side of care policies, as well as model what that impact may look like in the future for our health system. In order to create that model, we started with historical utilization at our health system. We focused on a targeted list of drug therapies because when we did see the insurance providers starting to uh, leverage these types of site of care restrictions, it was frequently on a, a small list of high cost therapies that were high volume. And we looked at our per-encounter reimbursement by site and by payer, as well as our per-encounter drug costs in order to get a sense of our current state of uh, use of these high-cost therapies. Then we built into the model flexible migration. There was a lot of questions as we started to see these site-of-care policies as to how many of our commercial payers may implement them. Would there be additional drugs that would be added to those policies, as well as the extent to which we may be able to overturn decisions related to those policies by advocating for patients to be able to continue to receive their infusions in the hospital. And so we were able to estimate a potential decrease in contribution margin loss and change that retention rate and migration by site um, based on feedback we were getting from both our clinics and our patients and from our contracting team. And then finally, we built into this model the setup cost. So looking at the different types of strategies we could approach, what would that look like in terms of new staff? How, how much may we need to invest in by way of construction, as well as what type of equipment would we need in order to accommodate this new service line? As we played around with the model, one of the, the variations that came out of this uh, came out with this story. What we can see is that no matter what, we had anticipated when we were looking at these site of care trends that we were going to see a decrease in our reimbursement with or without offering some kind of alternative care site for patients. 
But what we did see is that if we anticipated that more and more insurance plans would be implementing these site of care trends and that more therapies would be added to these, we knew that our best way of being able to mitigate this loss in contribution margin over time was going to be to offer alternative care sites within our health system. And so that really began our journey of looking at what is the best fit for us? Is it home infusion? Is it a pharmacy infusion suite? Or is it freestanding infusion? And we'll talk a little bit about how that decision was made. In order for us to move forward after we conducted this model, we created a team of individuals across multiple different areas in what we eventually called our freestanding infusion project team. We had leadership from pharmacy, as well as clinic leadership and executive leadership who are very interested in what we were going to be doing in order to continue to provide and retain the care for our patients within our health system. Key stakeholders included individuals from contracting as well as our billing teams within the health system, and of course, information technology. We included legal and compliance additionally, just to guide us in uh, a number of the decisions that we had to make. With that team, we were able to define the strategy that we wanted to move forward with, which was a freestanding infusion center. The reason for this has a number of uh, feeding decision points. One of them was that we had a number of pharmacies across our health system that were licensed and already preparing infusions. And specifically, we had one pharmacy that was already preparing infusions that also had capacity. Um, so the ability to increase their volumes and support additional patients. From the clinic and space standpoint, we were really prioritizing a strategy that would allow for us to leverage infusion trained nursing that we already had within our health system. And we conveniently, we had a uh, number of infusion trained nurses that were working in a facility that was very close to a freestanding space that we had available. This space was also co-located with specialty clinics that were prescribing infusions. And so from Brian's standpoint of a marketing uh, and convenience factor, we were able to offer that patients come in and see their providers and then can go to the infusion area right down the hall. For us, the, the IT barriers were a little bit lower with the freestanding infusion center and in that we were able to leverage our infusion scheduling system that we already had in place. And we were able to maintain consistent documentation of infusions between our hospital and freestanding infusion areas. And then finally, from a billing and contracting standpoint, this was an advantageous uh, area for us to move towards because it leveraged our hospital billing team and their expertise. Um, and we were able to incorporate our new infusion area into our contracting conversations with managed care. Um, and so we didn't need to separately seek out uh, contracts in order to service our patients within this new space. That was our story, but that's not necessarily the story that everyone is going to have within their health systems. So I'd like for everyone to take a moment and reflect on your organization's current infusion services. And start with, are you meeting the needs of your patients? From your perspective and your experience, how many patients are referred to outside infusion providers? Have you been able to quantify the volume and the financial impact of any patients that may be uh, seeking care from outside providers? What current capabilities does your health system have? Do you have a specialty pharmacy that you could leverage? And where do you currently refer your home infusion patients? The last question I would ask you is, what would be one change you would make to your organization's infusion services to better serve your patients? 
with those thoughts in mind, another really key component of providing any of these types of infusion services, whether it be home pharmacy infusion suite or freestanding infusion, is where are you getting that drug um, and how are you getting it and how do you go about administering it to patients? And so we'll dive into some drug procurement considerations. Brian really well covered the insurance strategies related to site of care in order for our uh, healthcare payers to minimize their drug costs. But we know that there are several other strategies that are in play and that our providers are looking to in order to minimize their drug costs. And we want to make sure that everyone's on the same page as to the definitions and the types of situations for each of these. So outside of site of care, we see that some insurance providers are requiring that patients um, brown bag, which is when drug is dispensed by a contracted specialty pharmacy delivered to the patient and the patient brings this to the clinic. This is the, the darkest of the bags and is the most similar to what you may remember from pharmacy school doing brown bag events where patients bring their variety of therapies in a brown bag for maybe a pharmacy student to talk to them about. White bagging is, is one step uh, in the right direction in that the drug is dispensed by a contracted specialty pharmacy, uh, but instead of going to the patient, it's delivered directly to the clinic so that there are fewer uh, transitions in ownership, and hopefully there's better oversight of the way in which that drug was stored. And then finally, clear bagging is something that is uh, coming to light and becoming available for health systems to leverage. And this is where drug is dispensed by an integrated health system pharmacy and delivered to the clinic. And so the servicing provider of the infusion is at the end of the day, the same organization that procured the therapy and has had it within their ownership that entire time. There's a number of considerations that health systems likely have when it comes to white and brown bagging and the requests that they may have to accommodate this. From a patient safety standpoint, there are a number of concerns. Um, medication accuracy as well as potency being uh, two of the major ones. And another concern is integrity. So when we talk about brown bagging and a patient storing a medication at home and bringing it into the clinic, how do we know that it was stored appropriately and that it's still going to be efficacious and safe for the patient? The other challenge that can come up is a need for dose changes. Frequently, these therapies are ordered and shipped potentially several days, if not a week, in advance of the infusion visit. What if the patient's uh, labs come back and don't allow for that same dose? Or what if their weight has changed within that time? From a compliance standpoint, accommodating white and brown bagging provides a potential for duplicate billing. The specialty pharmacy is billing for that therapy, and so you need to have systems that prevent it from billing uh, with the infusion services. There's also a concern around the storage and dispensing of patients' prescriptions and redispensing it from the health system pharmacy. From an op operational standpoint, there is the concerns around how will you document the medication administered and can you do that the same way that you document your buy and bill therapies. And then there's also the capacity of your pharmacy and clinics to maintain patient specific supply. That's a large volume of therapy to be making sure is refrigerated appropriately and has appropriate temperature tracking um, that you don't necessarily have the ability to control and the financial considerations with a potential loss of revenue associated with these drug therapies, as well as loss of reimbursement for administration fees if you don't have a way to be uh, reimbursed for the infusion services provided separately from the drug. Clear bagging still has a number of considerations, but I will highlight that there are fewer here. 
There still can be challenges from a patient safety standpoint of accommodating need for dose changes, depending on the proximity of your infusion area to your specialty pharmacy and the workflow you have to get that medication from one place to the other. From a compliance standpoint, there's still a potential for duplicate billing, but hopefully at least you're working within the same systems and record. And then your patient management program may have requirements that you follow up with patients as, as part of your accreditation as a specialty pharmacy. From an operational standpoint, you want to be looking at the documentation of the medication administered, as well as coordination of that medication from the pharmacy to the infusion suite, and whether or not it needs to go to a compounding area in between. And then finally, from the financial standpoint, there is still a potential loss of reimbursement for administration fees where you're not billing for the drug within the same medical claim. And you will also be potentially impacted by your contracted status with each of the insurance companies and whether or not you're in network for your patients. From the perspective of drug procurement, there's a number of health system decision points to keep in mind. The first being, will your hospital infusion centers allow for white or clear bagging? And then would you have a different decision for your lower cost site of care options in terms of whether or not they allow white or clear bagging? The other thing to think through is, will your policy be the same or different across these infusion areas? And how would you implement that operationally? If you do allow for white or clear bagging, but not in all situations, or if you don't allow it, how will your policy be enforced as your clinics and patients experience some of the restrictions put in place by insurance providers to use these types of strategies. And finally, if white, brown, or clear bagging is not allowed, what options will you provide to patients that are impacted by these restrictions? And how will you go about continuing to make sure that the patient has access to their needed therapy? With that review of the drug procurement considerations, I'm going to hand it over to Brian to review the revenue cycle management. Thanks, Erica. A great overview. And just to echo some of her points, the whole white bagging movement is becoming more and more pronounced. We talked about that earlier with the pharmacy benefit, and you really have to understand that as more payers move into these pharmacy benefit strategies, they're going to find savings. And when they find savings, they're going to want to do it more and more. So positioning yourself to be able to tell the story as to why the patient journey is better inside the health system is key. Also, make sure you can replicate the pharmacy benefit. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we go into our next discussion on RevCycle. We all know a business needs to make money, so we must understand how all that money stuff comes about, right? And this is somewhat geared to home infusion, but it is applicable to others. And it is critical that all members of your team understand these components. And it's not that you'll need to lead all of these, and I would recommend that you don't actually lead all of these, but you must set the expectation that your business will be accountable to all these items. When you look at this, benefit investigation is the rate limiting step. You must know what's coming in the door and the return on investment related to that. If you can't get that right, you're going to struggle. The payer mix matters, and you should know what that means in terms, in terms of drug, payment, and provider types, so Medicare versus commercial. You should also monitor those on a regular basis, monthly or quarterly, to start to see, are things shifting side of care? Are things moving in and out that didn't previously happen? You look at the next two items, order, entry, delivery. Um, those really go hand in hand. Just make sure the information from the benefit check is entered correctly, the therapy matches and it's documented and delivered when you say it was. Those will all matter downstream. In terms of claim submission, it's not gonna be your duty, but understanding who does this, the timeline, and then the barriers to them succeeding certainly is. You need to make sure they have what they need to be successful because billing on time results in collecting on time. 
Just think, if you fail to get the right ICD-10 code for an IVIG infusion, you're probably not going to get paid. And then what you'll see sometimes in the home infusion space is you're getting a lot of pressure to take a discharge. It's Friday at four o'clock. Please take this and then we'll figure it out later. So you didn't have time to get a prior authorization and you can't retroactivate that prior auth. You may not get paid for those first few doses. So it's something just to be aware of. And at the end of the day, the details matter and you have to be ready for auditing and denial purposes. So you're gonna have to play defense. So all those things in the previous cycle matter when it comes to, hey, we're not sure we're gonna pay you for this or Medicare is looking at LCD or NCD guidelines to say, hey, we wanna check and audit you to make sure what you said you did and what you said you had documented was there. One more consideration when we look at revenue cycle management is technology. To me, it's paramount to support your business both operationally and financially. Really, you need to know who's going to support the infusion software and can you financially justify this? So is it your staff? Do you have an IT staff that's going to help support? What if the software is different than what you use in your health system? Who's actually going to own and help with that? What are the FTEs needed to succeed? Can you justify that in a business proposal? Another item is data. Can you extract data that's meaningful to key stakeholders? Meaning, does your finance team have the ability to look at your data and can it be apples to apples what they see today? If not, can you modify that reporting or is there an additional fee for that? You think about something in terms of a 340B report. Can you get that out of the canned reports version or do you have to pay extra for that? We have to double document multiple platforms. And if you do, do you need more resources to do that? Or is that create quality concerns for you and your staff. I will say it's worth the money to do it right the first time. Make sure you understand your strategy related to software and make sure you execute it. So with that, I'll pass it back over to Erica who kind of bring us home in regards to RevCycle. Thank you, Brian, for such a great RevCycle overview. I'll again dive into some of our firsthand experience with UW Medicine related to this, just to drive home some of the themes that Brian touched on. So as we implemented our freestanding infusion within our health system, one of the challenges we initially saw was a low volume of referrals. And we also continued to see denials within our hospital locations, showing that we had patients that we could refer to our freestanding infusion area. In order to address these concerns, the health system looked to our specialty pharmacy to partner with Patient Financial Services, which was within our financial arm of the organization who is currently doing authorizations for infusions. And the hope was that they could have a partnership that would help to improve our ability to identify these opportunities to refer to the freestanding infusion, as well as decrease the number of denials we saw related to site of care. We started with having the specialty pharmacy team shadow the PFS team and eventually moved towards having a specialty pharmacy team member working alongside the team members within finance. Unfortunately, these didn't completely resolve the issues. And so specialty started a pilot of support for infusion clearance. And eventually this was so successful that it led to our pharmacy financial clearance team being created. So what was different or why was the specialty pharmacy team so successful? Part of it is I think we have very highly trained technicians who are so savvy with medications and learning the best way to make sure that we avoid any denials from the get-go. From our pharmacy financial clearance services, we have a number of things that we focus on. The first is making sure that with every case, we're evaluating site of care and specialty pharmacy policies so that if there is a consideration for the patient in terms of uh, whether or not they may be denied in our hospital space or whether or not they're required to use a specialty pharmacy, we know that as soon as possible. 
these technicians utilize their pharmacy knowledge when they're pursuing authorizations. And so this was a great clinic satisfier in that they didn't require as much training and handholding in the appropriate information that needed to be submitted over to the insurance. Our pharmacy technicians were also able to connect patients with resources from the drug manufacturer that may decrease their out-of-pocket costs after service. And we were also able to improve our clinic satisfaction across all of the infusion sites uh, by providing more information and having patients a little bit more informed about what the process of receiving infusions would look like. The other service that we provided was denial management. So looking at anything that came back as denied and really stepping between the clinic and the billing team to really evaluate how can we use the, the documentation that we had from pre-service in order to overturn the denial before we're looking for things like a letter of medical necessity. And finally, we used all of this experience as we continued to onboard additional clinics and get more experience to provide feedback to contracting. And this leads me to my last real takeaway from the efforts that we've had with UW Medicine. And this is really the importance of contracting and pharmacy having a partnership in a model like this. As we developed our services, we were able to establish monthly meetings between the chief pharmacy officer, specialty pharmacy manager, and director of contracting. And this gave us a venue to talk through a number of things from opportunities to specialty pharmacy to escalating authorization issues that we were identifying in our freestanding infusion areas to also resolving some patient specific issues related to insurance policies and seeking things like a single case agreement in order to overturn uh, an, a specific insurance policy that was impactful to a patient. We were also able to, through this partnership, add pharmacy to a larger organizational committee that looks at payer plan changes uh, every month. Um, and we were able to get added to updates related to UW Medicine contracting and payer relations updates. And all of this really came together to allow for us to develop a system to be able to really support our freestanding infusion area and better support our patients at the end of the day by providing additional options and making sure that the patients didn't feel the burden of figuring out where they would be able to receive their therapy and how they would be able to pay for that. Thanks so much for listening in today. Be sure to follow us at ASHP Official wherever you listen to podcasts and check back soon to hear more featurettes from the 2021 ASHP Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Until then, this is Jesse Hippo-Rosario from ASHP Official and thank you for listening in.